The Seattle Seahawks found themselves bullied and pushed around the football field on the defensive side of the ball fairly thoroughly from quarter one through quarter four and ultimately lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers at home, finding their playoff chances dimming ever more, almost to the point of complete darkness. This was a rough game to watch. There's not a lot to really turn away from this game from the defensive standpoint and feel good about. A lot of the long-standing issues with this defense that have reared their ugly head throughout the course of this season reared their head in this game. Getting controlled at the line of scrimmage, getting worked at the line of scrimmage, having one team be more physical than your team in that respect of things, a lot of simplicity across the board on the defensive side of the ball, and another one of those things that you can kind of add to the mix on top of being undisciplined, on top of an inability to tackle, is the Seahawks' odd ability to deal with backup quarterbacks. If you look at the Hawks' track record over about the last three or even four years with Coach Carroll-led teams, the Hawk defenses have found themselves oftentimes struggling against backup quarterbacks, finding these backup quarterbacks almost able to play at like an all-pro level against them. And much was the case again here in this game with Mason Rudolph. Yes, the Hawks got pushed around all over the place on the line of scrimmage, no doubt about that. But Mason Rudolph was also, as third-string quarterback for the Steelers, able to come in 18-24, 274 yards, and play a fantastic game. And when you look over the roles of recent current years, you've got guys like Marcus Mariota beating you, Andy Dalton, Colt McCoy beating you twice, Sam Darnold, Nick Foles, Tyler Heineke. There's a long storied list over this last couple of years of these guys playing against you, beating you, and also playing very good against you. My contention for why you see this happening led up against Coach Carroll teams is this. Backup quarterbacks are going to tend to know who they are. And that list that I just gave you was a lot of backup quarterbacks who had played a lot of time in this league. And so they're very affluent with who they are, what they can do, and what they can't do. A backup quarterback is going to come up against this simplistic Seahawks defense, and they're not going to overextend themselves. They're not going to try to push beyond the bounds of their limits. And what I mean by that is that if the Hawks are going to drop into a heavy zone defense, the backup quarterback will take that check down. They'll take that short completion. They'll take that easy play where you're making the game simpler for them rather than harder for them. And then they end up going out there and having an awesome game then because of that. And that's why you're seeing this repeat itself over and over again. It's a bit of an indicator to the lack of change at times from a strategical approach when it comes to this defense. We're going to line it up how we line it up and we're going to play it how we're going to play it. And can you beat that or not? A backup quarterback's not going to overthink it. Where a star quarterback with a big arm might have a tendency at some point in time in the game to let it rip, try to fit that ball down the field into one of those tiny holes as you're trying to protect against the deeper ball. And so then then you can get that pick, then you can get that game-changing play on the back end at that point. But the backup quarterback is not going to provide you that. And Mason Rudolph today did not provide you that. He played a hell of a game as well. The throw he made to George Pickens in particular, where he's got a pass rush bearing down into his face, he's on his back foot, and he throws that ball in a way to give his receiver a chance to run underneath it and go make that grab. It was a sensational catch by George Pickens, but it was also a great throw bear by Rudolph, whose decision-making was smart and on point throughout this day, who never tried to overextend himself. Like I said there, he just stayed in the pocket of who he was, and he found a tremendous amount of success against the Seahawks defense by doing so. It was really, though, with this Steelers team, and in the story of this game, it was the ground game that was really what drove this. It's just that you allowed that quarterback to play also so productively and so efficiently 
on top of having these woes when it comes to stopping the ground game. The Steelers ran for 145 yards in the first half, which was the most yards that they had run for in a half going back to 2006. You ended out the game with 46 carries, 200 total yards on the ground, and they were able to be successful in running the ball throughout the course of the game. It was never really any point where you felt like you really did much to stop them up at all. It seemed like just about every drive they were getting a scoring drive. I think you only had technically two stops in this game defensively. One at the end of the first half where they took over the ball with 35 seconds remaining. And the other one where you got the one, count them, one punt in this game from that Pittsburgh Steelers team as they were able to convert their third downs, they were able to convert their fourth downs. And defensively, you just didn't have many answers. I'll give the coaching staff some credit in this game where it was obvious early on that their four-man fronts were not going to be able to stop the run. They did try to go to some of the old school sort of five-man fronts, that sort of four-three under looks that we used to have where you get the four-down lineman, then you get the stand-up linebacker in the form of Derek Hall as sort of the de facto fifth defensive lineman down there on that line. It just didn't do anything to stop the run. It was an adjustment. It was an attempt to kind of stack the front up a little bit but it was none the more any effective in stopping the run. Najee Harris had himself a day. It seemed like the inside zone run, whenever they wanted to go to that, it was a free five yards. It may not get more than seven yards, but it wasn't going to get less than four yards. And it was a free five there all time whenever he wanted. He had 27 carries for 127, 22 yards, broke the back of this Hawks defense, only had two touchdowns when he could have had three because he laid down on it there at the end of the day. He was hard to tackle. Hawks just could not bring him down and took like four or five tacklers every time he had the ball to get him down. He was hard. And then you had Jalen Warren as the backup quick guy that could sort of just get it and go. And he certainly did his part to be as dynamic as he's been this season with 13 carries and 75 yards, a 5.8 yard per carry average. Both backs very effective in what they were doing on the ground in this game. And again, throughout just constantly chipping away, constantly able to move your guys off the line of scrimmage. And the coaching staff had no adjustments. So you had a defense that was getting pulverized at the line of scrimmage, and then you had a secondary on the back end, which just continually kept dropping into space. I don't understand why it is we'll have a third and four or a third and six, and you'll see the defenders on the front line of the zone coverage, being those defenders closest to the offensive line, drop to nine, 10, 11 yards of depth. It makes the decision-making so easy then for that quarterback to take that quick check down there for five yards for an easy first down completion, and they're protecting against a route that's not going to be likely to be run there by the offense as the offense is likely to run the routes to the sticks. But you see this in game after game after game where our defense will just not only protect against the heavy deep ball, but then also slide with a great amount of depth and keep that depth in front of where the first down marker is at. And it provides a lot of early, easy first down completions, a lot of easy uh, third down completions for these offenses and how they do what they do. So I'd, I'd love to see a little bit more mix of the Hawks defense here. I don't know if we're likely to be seeing that anytime in the future on that, but it's been a place that offenses have continually attacked throughout the course of this season. Uh, Leonard Williams had himself another sack in this game. I thought he was one of the few defenders out there that played himself a pretty fine contest. Six tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, two quarterback hits. You only had one sack on the day, so he was basically supplying just about your only pass rush on the day. There's a collection of guys that got their share of tackles, including Devin Bush with 17 tackles. Bobby Wagner got 14, but these were not good tackles. These were tackles where these guys were catching it seven, eight yards down the football field, as opposed to attacking in the backfield and stopping the run up. There were just too many holes, too much free space to be had 
Didn't matter whether they ran or passed it, quite frankly, it was there all across the board. And it's hard to give many other people any other props. Devin Witherspoon had some flashy plays he made in this game. He had some other plays where he struggled to bring down the ball carrier in space. So I think overall, he played a pretty solid game. Across the rest of the board, it's it's hard to find many highlights. It's easy to find many lowlights. And unfortunately, the way you lose this game, soft zone defenses, overall a lack of blitz, inability to stop the run. This has been how you've commonly lost games, not only this season, but even we just go back to last season as well. This was also a commonality. This was the kind of game you saw last year in the form of the Carolina Panther game at home, the Raider game at home, where the team just basically took it to you up front, out physical you up front, and you had no answer stylistically as any way to counter as far as the coaching staff goes. The offense on the other side of it did a pretty good job. I think Geno Smith played a really good game. He's going to get some heat for at the end of the game where you're trying to drive down and get yourself a tie score. There's a blindside rush coming on the backside from Highsmith and the Steelers. Now on this play, I think the fan is a fan you've got to consider here. Geno's dropping back on that play. He's got Charles Cross as his blindside blocker. The coaching staff has also called a chip to that side of the field. And so he's thinking on that play, I've got a little bit of time there because Cross is getting a little bit of extra help there. And instead, Cross gets beat and basically the pass rush win rate under the two and a half second guideline is the metric that's out there. So it's a quick pass rush win and he's right on top of Gino. It wasn't maybe instantaneously, but it was very close to that. And when you're getting that chip help from the running back, you can't allow that as the tackle for that quick pressure like that because the quarterback can't see the play. It's blindside. So he's got to count on that extra help supplying him a little bit of that extra time. Outside of that, I thought that Gino had some great pocket presence and some great movement within the pocket, especially climbing the ladder of the pocket, getting around TJ Watt, getting around some quick edge rush that was coming at him, extending plays smartly. He showed a lot of great poise. His decision-making was on point. I think there was only one throw that was dangerous really in this game. Absent that, I think he was on it and he did his job. 23 of 33, 290 yards, one touchdown. It wasn't perfect ball, but it was very good ball. And the offense shouldn't be asked they have to score on every possession for them to win these football games. And so I can't really come back as much here on Geno on this. It wasn't all just true, easy sailing waters, but you, you had a lot of commanding scoring drives that you brought out there. You only had to punt three times over the course of this game. The offense, in my opinion, did enough on this to win this one, especially playing this at home. Uh, likewise, the rushing attack actually came to life a little bit in this game. Kenneth Walker was able to find some holes, 10 carries, 53 yards. You didn't get as much of a chance to lean into the ground game, I think, as you would like, because the time of possession was really cut here, where it was almost two to one for what the Steelers were able to pull through versus what you were getting through. So you just didn't have as many opportunities to go to that ground game. But Walker showed so many times in this game, as he has this year, even though he's not necessarily having this really highly productive year, this star-making year, he kind of is in how he's playing, even if the results aren't exactly giving you that on the football field. I maintain, once you give this guy a top-notch offensive line and let him work behind that, he is really going to go out there and show you what he can do as a running back. And I'm talking 15, 1,600-yard type seasons. I'm talking 60, 70-yard runs. Not somewhat on the regular, but you're going to see a few of those then sprinkled in throughout the course of the year when he actually gets that blocking up front to then make it go happen. But you got to commend Walker coming into this game really banged up. They showed him out there working on his shoulder and he kept out there. He kept fighting. He kept trying to do what he could try to do to, to make it happen. And a lot of times there were some holes in this game. Props to Cross and Damian Lewis on the touchdown run where they blocked really well. But there's still a lot of times where he's having to kind of make his own hay. 
Um, and he was still able to do that in this game. So nicely played there by Walker. DK Metcalf continues to be the steadying presence out there. Remove the penalty situation, all that. I know he got called for a holding penalty this game, which will send some people alight. But he was also his typical efficient self as the pass catcher in this game. And that uh, he got out there with five catches, 106 yards. The Hawks actually worked him in the middle of the field, which they've started to do a little bit more of in recent weeks, which has been good to see because he's finding a lot of free and open space in the middle of the field when they go to it, be it either the slant route that they'll run to him out of the slot or the post route that they're running with him on the outside. He's finding some recent really good success on those kind of routes and those kind of plays. Hopefully something that the Hawks can build upon now as we go forward within the scope of this offense, not just this year, but then, you know, of course, moving on to next year as well. Jackson Smith and Jigba had a touchdown catch in the back of the end zone. He wasn't utilized much in this game outside of that, but it was a hell of a catch, high pointing the ball in the back of the end zone. A great throw by Geno. One of Geno's really good throws in this game where he shows off that pocket mobility, gets free of the pressure. Then he's got to sometimes throw a little bit off platform. And more often than not, that ball was right in on the spot. That was one of his better throws where there's a lot of traffic in there. You have a third and 11 high degree of difficulty play to get a touchdown conversion on that is there's not a lot of space to work with there on the back end. Geno fitted into the spot there. And the uh, offense certainly was then giving the defense a chance at that point to find its footing, to gather some momentum and turn this game back around in the right way to go out there and capture the victory. But at the end of the day, the defense just didn't have any answers. It couldn't hold up against the onslaught of physicality it was receiving from the Steeler uh, offensive line. And uh, that sucks to see because this was a part many of us worried about coming into this season as being one of the potential weaker parts of a Seahawks unit, where last year you were one of the worst in the league at stopping the run. You didn't do a significant amount to upgrade that defensive line coming into this year and thinking it was going to just kind of magically correct itself without really investing the assets into it. And it has not magically corrected itself. Which brings me on to a point about the larger issue at play. The Seattle Seahawks find themselves now still within the playoff footing here, still within, they need some help in Green Bay to lose next week. They need to win against a tough Cardinal team that just knocked off the Eagles team today. But this is going to be a game that's going to have a lot of Hawk fans that I'm already hearing from really, really starting to lose faith at times in this coaching staff and what they're seeing on the football field and the way that these games are playing out. This has not been a recent issue of just this game against the Steelers. This has not been just a recent issue of what we've seen in this last year here on this team with this defense. It's been showing up more often than not that you're losing in this fashion, where you're getting bullied to the line of scrimmage, where the coaching staff doesn't seem to have anything that they can call upon schematically as an adjustment to really give their defense any kind of help. They're just out there feeling like at times they're kind of flailing. And this feeling that continues to permeate through at times gets really frustrating when you don't feel like your coaching staff has a lot of answers. And when we're trying to figure out whether or not there's going to be ultimate faith in Coach Carroll to move this forward, to turn this team into a contending team, I think the answer that the biggest one presented at play right now and one that's got a lot of measure of understanding behind it is how do I have faith that conceptually we're going to get to that contending status if I have a coaching staff that doesn't seem to be able to maximize its players, that doesn't seem to be able to modernize in its approach on the football field. It seems to want to kind of get stuck in its ways of what it's doing and hope those ways magically fix themselves rather than looking for the turns and the adjustments that truly do need to be applied. They say history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Well, needed the Green Bay Packers last year to lose their final game of the season for our Seahawks to get in the playoffs. And now we find ourselves once again needing the Green Bay Packers to lose their final game of the season for our Seahawks to get back in the playoffs. So let's see if Lightning can strike twice in the same place two seasons over and our Hawks slide in. It's been a wild year of ever-ranging emotions, so who's to say that this doesn't go down just like this in this last game? 
it'll be interesting to watch what transpires. Hopefully you can keep the faith, even if it is a little bit shaken, my fellow Seahawks faithful. We'll just have to see how this all plays out. My name is Brandon Kane. This is the Hawks Nest. Please hit the like button. Please subscribe. But beyond all that, don't you ever forget, go Hawks.